Thank you. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here with us in worship at Fellowship Bible Church. Let's have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs. That's uh, three years old through the fifth grade, and uh, nursery can already be up there, or you can take them up there now. Uh, and, ki- and parents, just remember to pick your kids up at the end of the service. Um, I'm, you know, I have to say it every week because some parents, namely the pastor and his wife, tend to forget about it. So we just need to talking to myself there. Um, two weeks from today on Mother's Day, we'll have another uh, child and infant dedication in service. It was a lot of fun to have a few babies up here a, a couple weeks ago and uh, to have them dedicated by their parents to the Lord in the presence of church family. So we'll do it again two weeks from now. And so let me know, um, email me, talk to me after the service to let me know if you would want to be a part of that. We've already got a few families committed to be a part of that celebration. Um, I'll also let you know that uh, we are going to be doing our Memorial Day picnic. We're going to do it a little bit differently. We're actually going to do it on our campus this year. And so it's not going to be out at People's Farm as it traditionally is. It's going to be here. The farm was not available for us. Uh, but it's still going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to do some things like normal, some things not like normal, and uh, celebrate since we weren't able to do it last year. And so join us um, on that day, May the 30th. Uh, it will be a mixture of outside and inside stuff here on this campus. One service that day. Um, until then, we're going to keep trudging forward with two services every Sunday morning, 9.15 outside and 10.30 um, here. And of course, this one is live streamed and has kids ministry. Uh, I also want to let you know of an opportunity we have um, within our community. Um, We often highlight to you things going on, um, especially in our our area. We we have opportunity to serve our neighbors at the school occasionally. Um, There's a new nonprofit ministry right across the street from us here on Doug Gap Road. And they reached out for some help this week and it's called Grace and Joy House, which is a local ministry to uh, foster children and foster families. And uh, they are putting together uh, gift baskets for uh, every foster care family in our area. And what they've asked is if we and a couple other churches would, would provide for them uh, gift cards for uh, families to go out to dinner uh, for either the foster parents or to take the whole family out. And uh, they didn't give me an amount. They didn't give me a restaurant. It can be fast food. It can be nice. But just an opportunity to fill some gift baskets for a ministry that is literally right across the street from us doing incredible things. And so if you uh, literally, um, I don't have them, but uh, somebody at the end of the first service just gave me two gift cards that they just had in their wallet right then. Um, If you want to bless some foster care families that are serving children in our community, uh, please do that and uh, bring it to the church office um, by next Sunday, please, in order to do that. Um, One more announcement, and this is an exciting one. Um, We've got a lot of new happening And uh, next week, I'm going to start unveiling to you, introducing to you some new members. We had an incredible new members class um, last week and and had several families involved with it. And we're going to start next week introducing some of those to you. At the end of the service today, we're going to ordain a new first-time elder, Matt Drobnik. So he's going to come up with his family at the end of our service today. Um, We have um, new new deacons, as, as Jerry prayed. We have new deacons and elders that have come on. Um, all of our deacons that have come onto the board have served before, and you'll see that list. We'll send that out via email, and the same with the elders other than Matt. So 12 deacons for this new term, eight elders, um, and we're just very fortunate with what God is doing. Um, but additionally, you all know that we've been in a staff transition uh, over the first quarter of this year, and we had a, a family ministry search committee that sought to find and fill two positions, a, both a youth pastor and a part-time director of children's ministry. Uh, both of those positions now have been recommended to the elders, voted by the elders, and accepted their positions. So I'll introduce you first to, she's not with us today, and I'll explain to you why, but this is Rika Shepherd on the screen, along with her husband Daniel and Judah and Lottie. Um, Rika will be joining us 
on May the 30th um, for the picnic. Uh, she technically starts June the 1st, but we convinced her to come May 30th for free. And uh, she'll be joining us at the picnic to get an introduction to our young families. Uh, Rika's adult native. We're so excited um, about her. And uh, so she is currently serving at another local church and, and filling out her commitments there before she joins us on May 30th. But we wanted to give you her face and her name um, right away. Uh, next week, we hope to announce to you our new youth pastor, and we'll, we'll give you a video with a little bit of the background of, of both of our new staff members. Um, Rika will join us, uh, like I said, beginning of June, and we'll have a new youth pastor joining us July 1st. And uh, y'all, it's an amazing story of God's providence and provision. It, it was not supposed to be this quick and this easy, but God has, has really blessed us um, in this search process. And, and you'll hear more about what I mean uh, via video next week as we, we introduce uh, both of our new staff members together, and you'll meet them um, throughout the course of this summer. So we just wanted to let you know and praise God for that. And so um, I'm just going to return thanks to God before we open the word together. Uh, Father, we just give you the honor and praise because you are good. You're abundantly faithful. Uh, you're generous with us. There are times when we face hardships in, in life or in, in church life, and we, we wonder what, what you're doing. We wonder what you're, you're up to as we face uh, seasons of great challenge. And, uh, but then, Father, you also, in your grace, give us these seasons of great fruitfulness where we can celebrate uh, new members coming in, new leadership, new staff leadership, and so, Father, we praise you for uh, the hard work of, of the committee. We thank you for um, Carly Drobnik and Sam Brown and Ann Cunningham who served um, with me in, in this process, for the elders who scheduled extra meetings to, to figure out and to evaluate these candidates. And, uh, Father, we thank you for the grace of their, their churches that they're serving at now to um, give, them, uh, give them over to kingdom work in other places. And, um, Father, it's just such a story of your partnership in the kingdom um, that you want to build within your church. And so we praise you for Rika, Daniel, Judah, and Lottie joining our family soon. And uh, we praise you for the energy that they'll bring and the leadership to our children's ministry. Uh, we thank you for the kids that are here even uh, this Sunday. As uh, uh, with all of the transition and hardship of the last year, it has been so fun to watch more and more kids come back um, every week and to uh, this week hear from Linda, our nursery director. Wow, we've got a lot of kids and we've got more coming. And um, such an exciting time to, to bring new leadership into this ministry. So God, you're good. We give you the glory and the praise for that. And in the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. We'll, talk, we'll keep talking about vapor and vanity and wisdom and meaning. Um, it's a fun journey. Uh, Jason, in the early service, was uh, talking about the fact that we were celebrating the Lord's Supper today, and he said, you know, it'll be an interesting transition going from Ecclesiastes and I hate life, all is vapor, into, into the Lord's Supper, and that's exactly what we're doing today. So I want to imagine a scenario with you. I want to put yourself in the shoes of a coach of young children I have the privilege right now of helping um, a friend from this local church and in coaching our son's soccer teams and uh, six through eight-year-old kids playing soccer. It's a lot of fun. It's high energy. They, they enjoy it. They play hard. You get to watch them grow and develop. But I want to put you in a scenario that, that isn't a real scenario. This is all hypothetical, okay? So let's say your team, you're coaching this team of, of young kids, and they face off against this really difficult opponent. And you start to notice that, well, this other team, they're, they're pushing, they're shoving, they're, they're throwing some elbows. Your kids keep ending up on the ground, and you're thinking, man, this is, those referees, they really need to get on top of this. What's happening out here? And then you're just encouraging your kids, keep playing the right way, keep playing the right way, keep following the rules, doing what you're supposed to do, run hard, play hard, etc. And then you notice it's, it's actually only getting worse, and the referees are not doing anything about it. Your kids aren't pushing. Your kids are being pushed around. Your kids are the ones that keep hitting the ground every time. And then you see the ball roll out of bounds, and it's clearly off of the other team, but the referee calls it 
and gives the ball back to the other team. And then you see a handball show up from the other team that, that doesn't get called, and you start to wonder, wow, is there something really going on here? These are kids. How are the referees stacking the game against a bunch of kids here? This isn't right. This isn't just. But as the game goes on, your kids just keep playing and keep getting more and more frustrated. And you know, as they know, it's just not fair. And for whatever reason, the referee keeps giving the other team the ball back, keeps ignoring when the other team pushes somebody down, keeps ignoring the other team's handballs and calling your team for everything. And it becomes so abundantly clear, this is not right. This is not fair. This is not the way the game is to be played. Now imagine this scenario where you're a coach and these are little kids and they come off the field at halftime and they gather around you. You're the one that's supposed to instill hope. You're the one that's supposed to tell them to get out there and keep fighting. And they say, I don't want to play anymore. I hate this game. I hate soccer. It's not fun. It's not fair. It's not right. What do we do, coach? And in the midst of that fog and and confusion, you've got to come up with something to say to encourage these kids forward in this scenario that you know is stacked against them and you know it's not fair. We're going to leave that scenario for a minute and we'll come back to it because I think the fog of that question is where the preacher of Ecclesiastes finds himself in Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 17, our our passage for today, because it really does end with, boy, I just, I hated life. Everything was vapor. Everything was fog. So let's see how he got to that point. To rewind for a second, I told you the book of Ecclesiastes is about one man's search for meaning and purpose in life. And in this, the setting is specific to under the sun. Can I find purpose and meaning in this physical life, in this physical world? And can I find purpose and meaning in a list of things? 2, 1 through 11, where we were last week, he pursued pleasure, materialism, uh, wealth, sexuality, all of those things built around physical pleasure. That was the pursuit we looked at last week. Today, we look at wisdom. So in verse 12, I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man who comes at, what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So here's our journey for this morning. We're going to acknowledge the fact that the author of Ecclesiastes does tell us there is gain in wisdom. And then we're going to see that there is an end of wisdom, that wisdom only, though there is gain, it only brings you so far, but it reveals to us a great longing for more. And we'll wrap it at the end by trying to see through the fog. Look at verse 13 first, the gain in wisdom. He does say, I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. See, in verse 12, he starts the pursuit with saying, I need to find purpose, I need to find meaning, so I'm going to look at madness, folly, and wisdom. And then from that point on, he basically only talks about wisdom. It's like he leaves behind madness and folly quickly to say wisdom has got to offer more than madness or folly. And what he says of wisdom is that there is gain in wisdom just like there's gain in light. Light's better than the darkness. You see better in the light than in the darkness. And then there's an idiom in verse 14 about having eyes in your head that's basically just saying the same thing. The wise person can see. The fool does not see clearly. And so certainly there's got to be gain in wisdom. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is what is the wisdom that he's referring to? 
What, what is the wisdom that the author of Ecclesiastes is pursuing here, and how does he want us to pursue it alongside of him? Uh, this was a question that I was asked uh, in my own small group this week. I didn't answer well, so I, I changed my sermon. I'm going to rewrite, rewrite some things and try to answer a little bit better. We'll start with the def- definition of wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then he repeats it, which shows it's probably important. Proverbs 9.10 says exactly the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we know that biblical wisdom is God-centered, number one. Biblical wisdom is God-centered. Biblical wisdom sees God as the center of life, the creator of life, and orders life around who he is and what he is about. So it is the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Now, the book of James is our only New Testament wisdom book. And I say that because there are multiple Old Testament books that are written particularly to show us what wisdom is. And there's one in the New Testament, James, that's often referred to as a New Covenant or New Testament uh, book of wisdom. And what James does is James gives us practical principles and insights for life, much like Proverbs does in the Old Testament. And James distinguishes between two types of wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above, meaning God's wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or the wisdom that comes from below, man's wisdom for just uh, living your life to the fullest. I believe that what the preacher here is doing is he's going off of the same definition that was found in Proverbs, that wisdom is God-centered living, remembering who God is and living your life in light of him. But I've also told you that the setting of Ecclesiastes and the vanity found in Ecclesiastes is all built around the setting of being under the sun. And so now I am telling you that the author of Ecclesiastes is pursuing a God-centered life without a focus on eternity. That is the problem with what we're dealing with right now. That he is focusing on God-centered wisdom, on the fear of the Lord and obeying God, but the setting in which he is living is a temporal and non-eternal setting. You think, well, that doesn't make sense. why, Why would he do that? And to which my reply is simply, Christians do that all the time. Every one of us has been tempted to live life that way, and and here's what it looks like. We seek God's way, we seek God's direction, we seek God's wisdom, but we also seek immediate, contemporary, in-this-life reward for principles that are built around an eternal timescale. Here's how it would work. Here's a practical example. Uh, Let's say I'm a student that is pursuing a particular career. And as I'm reaching the the end of my training, I'm facing final exams, and I look around at my peers, and I see that my peers are cheating to get ahead. They're cheating on their exams. They're working together. They're they're trying to cut corners and find their way to higher test scores to, to get to the point of the career sooner. And I say, no, that is That is the way of the world. I'm going to pursue the way of righteousness. I'm going to study hard. I'm going to do my own work. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to be honest. I am going to do it the right way. And then you reach graduation, and the same people that have cheated on their exams, then they start kind of stacking their resume a little bit and exaggerating the responsibilities they had in particular internships, kind of padding it a little bit to make them look more qualified than they are. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do things the right way. I'm going to live with integrity. I'm going to live in righteousness. And and then you see the same people not long after that going into job interviews. And you and me and this guy are up for the same job. He's cheated. He's padded his resume. And then I find out in his interview, he's slandering me. He's saying things about me that aren't true while we're going for the same job. And I say, no, 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 no. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm not going to tell lies about him. I'm going to I'm going to get the job on my own work. I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to play this game with him. And then what happens when that guy gets the job? What gives, right? I I did it the right way. I pursued righteousness. I pursued God's wisdom. I lived in the fear of the Lord, and yet I suffer. I don't get a job. He cheated to get ahead. He's got the job. He's got the salary, 
and I'm left with nothing. And see, what if, what if that whole time I was praying, God bless me, bless my hard work, bless Bless this test. Bless this interview. God, I pray that you would provide for me this right job to pursue my career. What am I going to say when after all of my prayers, all of my reading scripture, all of my doing things the right way, this guy is prospering and I'm not? I'm going to say the same thing that that seven-year-old says at the halftime of that soccer game. What gives, coach? What's the point of playing the right way? I'm going to say the same thing that the preacher of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 2.17. I hate life. It's just not fair. I work and I work and I do things the right way. And the, the foolish guy reaps the same benefit that the wise guy has reaped. And I think it's important to recognize that when he says he's pursuing wisdom while living under the sun, he's doing exactly what I would have done in that scenario. I would have said, God, you're not blessing me because you didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted. I would have said, God, I had, a, I had a plan. We had a deal. If I do this, then you will bless me in this way. And y'all, that's not how a relationship with God works. And so when the author of Ecclesiastes is telling you, if you want to find purpose and meaning in life, wisdom is of some benefit, but as long as your wisdom has, has a time limit, as long as the benefit derived from your wisdom has a time limit in which you want to receive the benefit from your wise living now in this life, you're going to occasionally throw up your hands and say, well, the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. What gives, God? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And I think that as we, as we look back, as we step back from the book of Ecclesiastes and look with this eternal perspective, right? Because this is how the book of Ecclesiastes changes. When you, when you move your gaze from what's under the sun to what lies beyond the sun, you recognize that one day that good and righteous judge will reward the righteous. One day, that good and righteous judge will punish the wicked. And so from an eternal perspective, from a life beyond the sun, we have to recognize that the gain in wisdom points us to a harvest that is not always reaped in this life. And y'all, that makes it incredibly hard. Because you work and you toil, that's a good Ecclesiastes word, you toil and you labor and you seek to do the right thing and you're not getting what you think you deserve for your hard work. And when does the harvest come? Unfortunately, it doesn't always come in this life. Unfortunately, sometimes the righteous die early. Sometimes the righteous suffer. Sometimes those that stand up for Christ lose their lives because of Christ. Sometimes those that stand up for Christ lose their jobs because of Christ. Sometimes those that stand up for Christ lose relationships because of Christ. So what gives? This is the end of wisdom in 2, 14 and 15. Uh, what the preacher says to us is, you know, it all ends the same way. He says, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. So what gives? Why have I been so wise? He, he's talking about being buried in the dirt. What happens to the fool will happen to the wise. He'll die, I'll die, we'll both end up in a grave, in the dirt, so why am I pursuing wisdom? There is no benefit under the sun for this wisdom. And you know what's crazy is that the older you get, typically the wiser you get. Now there, there's limitations to this, but, but as you go, as you age, you recognize that with new experiences comes wisdom. Now, I, I want to qualify that to say that sometimes what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing for us, he's asking us to gain wisdom by his mistakes without making our own mistakes. That's really what wisdom is. When you learn from your own mistakes, that's just growing up. But wisdom is being able to discern ahead of time, I don't need to make that dumb decision to learn that it's a dumb decision. That's what wisdom is, is being able to discern from the world around you and grow without having to do everything the wrong way. And so, yes, wisdom comes with age, 
Uh, wisdom can also transcend age. So I already mentioned my life group on Friday night once. I'll mention it again. I thought that it would make a ton of sense as we were coming into life group on Friday night to talk about wisdom. I made the decision to choose that time to pick a fight with my wife as we were walking into this building to lead a life group. It was not a wise decision because right when it happens, one of our friends who's in the life group, walks in right as we're in the midst of this. But even before that, what was more humbling than that is when the eight-year-old is the wise one. Is when the eight-year-old looks at the preacher and says, guys, we're about to start life group. Life group's supposed to be about Jesus. It's time to stop fighting. Every part of that is true. And I looked at her, and I said, Eden! I didn't even say anything. I couldn't even say her name. I just, that, that's, there's no response, right? There's just turn and walk away. Okay, I guess this argument's over. Thanks, Eden. And so we recognize that wisdom comes with age, yes. Wisdom comes with experience, yes. Uh, Wisdom also comes with perspective. Because here's what I didn't recognize. I, I didn't see my conflict with my wife from the right perspective. Because, believe it or not, I was emotionally engaged in that. I know y'all think I'm not a very emotional person. But I was emotionally engaged. I was um, emotionally compromised and was not thinking wisely. And all it takes is somebody to step out of the emotionally compromised position and to see with a greater perspective and even at eight, Eden can do that and say, stop fighting. This is a waste of time. We're supposed to be talking about Jesus. So wisdom comes with age. Wisdom comes with experience. Uh, wisdom also comes with having the right perspective. And perspective is what's lacking in all of his search for wisdom right here. Because his perspective is still under the sun. I'm going to pursue God's wisdom. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to be righteous, but I'm only going to do it so God will bless me here. And that just doesn't work. You'll throw up your hands. You live that life, you'll throw up your hands and say, what's the point? That crook got the job. What's, what's the point? That, that immoral person is prospering over there, and I'm floundering. Look at the longing of wisdom. This gets us closer to the point in verse 16. The preacher longs for the wise to come to a different end than the fool. But under the sun, he doesn't see it. Under the sun, there is no different end for the wise and the fool. He's he's longing for these two words, enduring remembrance. He says, of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. And so the question here is is a question of legacy. How will I be remembered? What do I leave behind? And he says very clearly, it's not going to take long for people to just forget me, for people to just forget you. And we all know this. I think I said this a couple weeks ago. You know your parents' names. Great. You know your grandparents' names. Great. Some of us know our great-grandparents' names. Great. How many greats can you go? Can you go great-great? Can you go great-great-great? Your own family within even a few generations. We forget. We forget who they were. We forget what they did. We forget about the legacy that they lived. Yesterday, we had the opportunity in this room to celebrate a life well-lived from a 95-year-old man, born in 1925, a teenager listening to the radio and hearing about Pearl Harbor, Uh, one who went into the military to uh, serve his country and, and was in training in Texas as the war ended, and he was able to go home without ever going into combat but who had committed to serve his country and then committed throughout the rest of his life to teach math, to love his family, to to be a good father, to be a good husband, to serve his church. 
And so this got me thinking about a legacy for uh, 95 years. What kind of legacy? And, and thankfully, we were able to celebrate here yesterday a legacy that did not, that did not stay under the sun. Can you leave a good legacy under the sun by being a good math teacher, by being a good father, by being a good parent, by being a good neighbor? Yes, absolutely. But what sort of legacy points beyond the sun? What sort of legacy extends beyond this life? The life that honors Christ, the life lived for the eternal. And that's what we celebrated here yesterday with Roy Unger's funeral. We celebrated the fact that there is a way to live your life in which the wise and the fool do not end the same way. Because the wise man's children can stand up and can say, he showed us what it meant to follow Jesus. And that is an eternal remembrance. Because as much as I say, you don't know who your great-grandparents are. You know who does know who your great-grandparents or your great-great-grandparents are? Your grandparents. And let me tell you this. If, if your great-great-grandparents walked with Christ and pointed their children to Christ, do you know who remembers that? God remembers that. And your great-grandparents who are in heaven right now remember that. There is lasting remembrance from eternal souls for a life well lived in the flesh. So you don't have to remember their names to still be reaping the benefit of a great heritage of faith that is laid down. That's legacy. That's lasting remembrance. And so remember, every time we read through Ecclesiastes, we're going to have the same conversation every single week. He keeps talking, nothing new under the sun. This is what life is under the sun. And all the while, the new covenant of Christ breaks into what's under the sun and brings something new and brings the eternal salvation uh, to sinful human beings so that we might live for all eternity and we might have lasting remembrance. And so it is only in looking beyond the sun that there can be lasting remembrance. So this is how we start to see through this fog. Ecclesiastes 2.17, I hated life. What is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Vanity, again, meaning vapor or fog. So here's this older man stuck in the fog, saying, what's the point? And we know Ecclesiastes 12 When he wraps his story of his life in Ecclesiastes 12, he's still fearing God and he's still keeping his commandments. So while it might look in 2.17 like he's ready to just punt the whole thing away, he's ready to just give up, throw in the towel, and say, I'm just going to live for whatever. We know that by God's grace and providence, he keeps living in wisdom. And what do we learn from that? We learn that there's a way through the fog. There's a purpose and a meaning that pushes through the fog of this life. So let's go back to that soccer field that we started at. It's halftime. Six, seven, eight-year-olds gathered around angry. Angry, upset, not wanting to play, completely defeated. We're already losing this game. We keep going out there. Coach, if you send us out there, we're just going to get pushed around more. The rules aren't going to be followed. What is the point? Expand the scenario. You as a coach know that there's a league office, that there's a a commissioner, there's a head of the league. You as a coach know that the game's being videoed right now and there's an appeal process. This doesn't happen with six, seven, and eight-year-olds, y'all. This is a story. And you know that there's there's a scenario by which you as a coach can appeal the game and appeal everything that happened there. You know that tomorrow the league commissioner is going to sit down and watch on video the events of the game and evaluate the job that the referee did in that game. And the the league commissioner can watch the video and see the way each team handled themselves during the game. You know that that league commissioner is righteous, that that league commissioner is just, that that league commissioner holds the power to up to, to uproot, to overturn any result that might happen today. And in the end, set wrong back to right. You know that that league commissioner, even when the referees aren't trustworthy and the other team isn't trustworthy, the righteous and fair league commissioner, you can trust with everything. 
and you know he's going to be watching the game and he has the power to come back the next day and, and disqualify one team and overturn the victory. What do you tell your kids then? Do you tell them, ah, just push them back. Do you tell them, you know what, guys? The odds are stacked against you. It doesn't matter. Let's quit. Let's go home now. Do you tell them, you know what? You have to go back out on the field, but stop trying. It's just not worth it. It doesn't matter. Not if you know that a righteous league commissioner can overturn the results of the game the very next day. You tell your kids, you go out there, you do the right thing, you play the game the right way, and let's see what happens tomorrow. Now think about that. Think about the vision that gives you through the fog. By just changing the perspective from the events right in front of you to the events that go beyond just what you see. And think about a life lived in the flesh that has ripples throughout all eternity. The the decisions that we make in this life have consequences that ripple for all of eternity, both in righteous deeds and in wicked deeds. And one day, each one of us is going to come to the end of life, and we're going to be seated before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account for deeds done in the flesh, both for the righteous deeds and the wicked deeds. And we know that that righteous judge will one day reward the righteous and punish the wicked then in that scenario, do we throw up our hands and say, I hate life, there's no point, there's no reason to live in wisdom, there's no reason to obey God, there's no reason to find purpose, just live it up. No, we don't say that. Because we know that there is an overriding eternal purpose and meaning and one day we are going to see all the wrongs be made right. Every injustice will be uncovered and everything will be set right by the one true righteous judge. And that's what we live for. That's the perspective of a a new covenant follower of Jesus. Walking in wisdom that is eternal. James 3, I told you, uh, distinguishes between the wisdom from above and the wisdom of this earth. And this is how James defines it. Uh, James 3.13 and following. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But wisdom from above, this is verse 17, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So so this is what godly wisdom is all about. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Uh, The way of wisdom pursues purity when the world pursues jealousy. The way of wisdom pursues peace when the world pursues boasting. The way of of wisdom pursues mercy as the world pursues selfishness. The way of wisdom lifts up a cross of a suffering Savior as the world promotes self above all else. The way of wisdom promotes Bringing yourself low in weakness before the Creator God to recognize you can't be wise on your own. James 1 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, which you do, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives abundantly without finding fault. Do you know that when you don't have the wisdom to know what to do in a situation, God doesn't expect you to? God doesn't find fault in you when you don't know what to do. God welcomes your requests for more wisdom. 
He doesn't find fault when you ask, but rather he gives to you abundantly because he doesn't expect you to solve your problems on your own wisdom without him. He expects you to come to him in weakness and in meekness to receive wisdom that comes from above that is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason. And he expects you to wait for his harvest. See, this is what it's like to live a life trying to pursue God's wisdom on a temporal standing makes no sense because God's the one that brings the harvest and he brings it when he is ordained to bring it. And he is promising us in James 3.18 here that a harvest of righteousness and peace comes to those that are wise in the way they live. But he doesn't promise it tomorrow. He doesn't promise it at next year. He doesn't promise it at the point of your retirement. He doesn't promise it at when you reach 75 years old, you're magically wise and righteous and whatever. He doesn't promise that all will be made right then. He promises that one day all will. And it's that one day that we keep living for, that we keep striving for. It's that perspective that steps out of what's right in front of us in all of our emotional entanglements and all of our struggle that we're fighting with here and steps out of that perspective and looks eternally and says, yes, everything is hard. Yes, I'm striving and struggling. Yes, I'm, I'm tempted, I'm beat down, I'm hurt, but one day. And if you are living only for what you see, then you're not living for all that there is. If you're living only for what you see in front of you, you are living for less than what is really there. The, the call of the Christ follower is to pursue God-centered wisdom, God-centered living from an eternal perspective that sees beyond the sun that brings purpose and meaning even when life is challenging. And so as, as we close today, I'm going to ask you to take the cup. They're under every seat here. This is the cup that is both the body and blood of Jesus, poured out for us. And I'm going to ask you to, to take it and, and hold it, because they're going to sing we're going to join them in this as we, we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. And I'm going to come back and we're going to partake of this together. But see, Scripture tells us not to do this lightly. Scripture tells us not to do this without examination, not to do this without full knowledge of our sin and our redemption in Jesus. And so I'm just going to say it again. We are not wise on our own. We're not righteous on our own. And so nobody here is here based on our own merits our own strengths, our own gifts. This is a place of weakness where we come before the cross of Christ and we are fully dependent upon his broken body and his shed blood for mercy. So ponder that, reflect on that as we worship and then we'll partake together. Sinners, ears, it may sound strange. The freedom could be found through death and pain. Why sinless perfection took the blame? But hallelujah. For pardon, it would take the cross. Salvation paid for at the highest cost. Our redemption gained and heaven's lost. Oh, hallelujah. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. Can make me whole again. Nothing but the blood. There 
Take the cup. You know the best part about doing two services is getting to do this twice. Because there are certain practices of the Christian life that, that are beautiful and meaningful. And yet, the more we do them, sometimes they grow stale. Sometimes they grow cold. And yet when we do this, this is the body of Jesus This is the blood of Jesus, broken and poured out for each one of us. Outside this morning as we were doing this together, it struck me anew because I I prayed as as I usually pray. Father, give us fresh grace. Give us a fresh experience of your mercy and grace as we take your body, as we take your blood, and we receive it as forgiveness of our sins, but also renewal of our life in you. So as we do this in remembrance of him, receive the grace and mercy from the cross today. Take and eat in remembrance of him. And now take the cup. And may we never lose sight 
of the importance of the blood of Jesus as the purchase price for our sins and our new life in Him. We do this in remembrance of Him. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask um, our elders and wives to join that's in the service today. I know some were at the early service and some are traveling, but uh, join me on stage. You know who you are. Um, it, it's a privilege to get to serve Christ Church um, and not do it alone, but rather do it with a team. And the staff is important, um, but the lay leadership is a huge part of who we are as the body of Christ. And so when we have a, a new family this morning, um, a new elder that has been elected, and that process is, is simple, that, um, you know, the congregation votes. We as elders, we sit down and we look at the numbers that you vote for, and we affirm the men that you vote for. And as Matt's name came up, um, this year, first from your vote and then from the elder conversations, um, we saw it fitting to ask him to join, and, and he made the commitment, but we brought his family up because his family will sacrifice along the way of his time and, and his leadership, and so we're grateful, Matt, for you and Carly and the kids, and uh, Steve is going to pray f- for Matt and his family as we, uh, this will be our official ordination of him into elder leadership at Fellowship Bible Church. Let us pray. Father, we just enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. You are so good to us. And Lord, I thank you in your compassion and goodness. You brought Matt and his family to us. Lord, I, I thank you that you called him to yourself many years ago. I thank you that you called he and his family to this church and he obeyed. And Lord, I thank you that you have called him to serve as an elder. Lord, I thank you that he heeded that call and said yes. And Lord, I just pray now for Matt and his family. Uh, Lord, that you would give Matt strength for the process. Lord, I pray that you would give him godly wisdom in the decisions that he would be called to make. Lord, I pray that you would give him joy in the journey of being an elder. And Lord, that you would give him compassion for the sheep that he will be over. And Lord, I, I, I thank you and I believe that you have created Matt, in a fearful and wonderful way, in an exciting way, you have given him assets, you have given him personality, you have given him insight that you have called him now to serve. And so, Lord, I also pray for his family who will have to sacrifice Matt. There are times when he will be here to make decisions to serve the church and the people in it. And so, Lord, bless them for their willingness to participate and to be patient with Matt. And so, Lord, I also believe that you, in making Matt from his date of his birth, his new birth, his experiences, his life process, that you, and through your Spirit, have equipped him to serve in this noble, honorable, valuable position. Lord, it is important. It is very important. And so I thank you. I thank you for Matt, Lord, and his uh, willingness to serve and Lord, I just uh, I pray, Lord, that the people in this audience and hearing on television or video will pray for Matt. Lord, it's a great job. It's a joyful job, but it's also a hard and difficult job. So, Lord, we just pray for Matt, and I pray that those who hear my voice would pray for him as well and the leaders as a whole. And we rejoice, I personally rejoice, in being yoked with Matt Lord, and the wonderful work that you set before us as elders of this church. And in Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us.